So when I um, had agreed to speak um, a couple months ago, um, the passage I was given was Ephesians 4, 17 to 32. And as we've gone through our, our series on Ephesians, um, we ended up, uh, last, the last series sermon by Nate ended chapter 3, which means there's about 16 verses there that we did not have anyone to speak on. And so I went to the leadership and I said, you know, do you want me to do those too? You know, and they're like, well, yeah, you know, probably good enough just to skip sections of God's word. Um, so they gave me twice as much time because I have twice as much material, right? Or the other option I had was I could speak twice as fast, right? Um, we are going to be looking at the entire chapter uh, of uh, chapter 4 of Ephesians. So we're, we're going to start in verse 1 this morning. Um, I'll try to be brief, as brief as I can. Uh, what, what's the point of college? Why do we go to college? <laughs> to what? To learn torture, okay. Any other ideas? Okay, to gain knowledge. Excellent. To, pres to pursue what? To have an occupation, right? Any other, any other thoughts? Okay, specified training through instruction. Okay. Yes, some of us go to college to find a wife and to make friends, or a husband in some cases. Um, and others go to college to goof off. Uh, but the point of college is to take theoretical knowledge and apply it to your life and apply it to a job, right? You can't be a teacher unless you learn how to teach. You can't um, be a mechanic unless you learn how to, be, to, to do mechanical things. Um, so you take, you take theory, you take ideas, you take knowledge, you take instruction, and then you move that into your life and you, you use it as you live your life and as you work in your occupation. So that's where we are this morning uh, in Ephesians. We've spent the first three chapters of Ephesians learning knowledge about Christ, who he was and why he did what he did and what he has accomplished his, his plan, God's plan for the Gentiles and the mystery that that was and the gifts um, that were given. Uh, we learned about his work and, and how it has made us alive in Christ. We've learned and learned and learned. And now Paul takes the knowledge that he's given us and we move into the, the realm of the practical. The realm of the practical. What should we be doing now because of this, in light of this? Let's, um, let's uh, open in a word of prayer. Father God, I thank you this morning that we can enjoy learning truth, hearing truth, and seeking truth from your word. We pray that you would speak to us this morning as we learn and listen and read. May we take 
what is taught here and apply it to our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you haven't already turned there, turn to chapter 4 of, of Ephesians. And um, we've got a lot to go over, a lot to go through. And So what we're going to do this morning is we're basically going to work through it verse by verse or a few verses, and I'm just going to pull out a few things that, that, that came, to, came up as I was going through it. So um, I don't have four points to change your life from Ephesians chapter 4. We're just going to get into the Word, and we're going to study the Word. So chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 1 says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Paul here gives his qualifications for the things that he's going to say. He has followed his calling from the Lord to the point of imprisonment. Okay? He, he has done what the Lord has called him to do all the way to the point of finding himself in chains. Okay? The calling of the gospel. It, it, our calling is the calling of the gospel. To become children, sons and daughters of God, without having to necessarily observe the Jewish rules and regulations um, and their customs, and to allow the gospel to affect all parts of our lives. That's our calling, right? It's to take the truth that he has been telling us about in the first three chapters. It's to take that truth um, and let it change us. Don't just learn about it. Apply it. Use it. And so that's, that's the calling that we have, worthy of the calling that we have been, that you have received. Um, so how do we do that? Which, uh, verse 2 says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Be completely humble, gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love. Three very easy things to do, right? And it's not just be humble, it's be completely humble. Um, these things should be increasingly obvious as we live out the truths in our lives. Not that we have them down right away. Okay? We're not going to be completely humble and patient. Um, <laughs> I was driving into town yesterday, and I'm driving behind a car going extremely slow. And yeah, there's a little bit of ice on the road, a little snow, but I'm like, come on, I got places to go. Yeah. Be patient. It's right there. Two out of these three I struggle with daily. It's just, it's just a constant, constant struggle. And, and, and to do so, to be patient and humble and gentle, is completely contrary to the world's way of thinking. We live in a world where it's me first, right now, all of a sudden, i got to have it. And I don't care who I step on to get it. Right? Three very completely contrary things that Christ has called us to. Uh, look at verse 3. 
Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And, and I would say here, as, as much as it, as it depends on you, right? as much as it depends on you, do everything you can to keep the unity of the Spirit. Is this always going to be possible? Imagine what our churches would look like if we each focused on unity more than what I want. If we're each focusing on it rather than what do I want in a church, we're all focusing on it together. Um, going to read verses 4 through 6 here next. And he kind of goes on to explain this a little bit. So let's look at verse 4. It says, um, there is, For there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. He goes on to explain why we would want to be unified. It's one body, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And, and it, it saddens me when we allow our differences and preferences to divide us. We are all different people. Okay? We all have different experiences. I'm extremely different from Stilly. A lot of people are different than Stilly. <laughs> you know, I have different experiences than Stilly does. I have different, I'm different than Mrs. Lippincott. We're, we're all different. So why are we here this morning? Because we have one Lord and one body and one faith and one baptism. That's why we're here. Because we serve the same God. We're all different, but we're all unified. Let's look at verse 6 again. Let me read that again for you. Verse 6. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. When you're going through difficult things that you don't understand, God is in it. He's in all. And when you can't figure out why things are happening, God is working through it. And when it doesn't make any sense to you, God has his hand over it. That's what it says right here in Ephesians. He is over all, through all, and in all. Verse 7. But to each of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. To each of us, grace has been given. We, we are given the grace that we need to live this life individually. 
he, God is, Christ is so personal, right? He knows what each of us need and the amount of grace that we each need to live this life. It's exactly what you need. Christ, it says, has been given, um, grace has been given uh, as Christ apportioned it to us. Verse 8, this is why it says, when he ascended on on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. So in the, verse, in the previous verse, Paul is talking about the, the grace that Christ has given. And he, and he pulls this, this passage from Psalms and he talks about how he gave those gifts. Christ, Christ gave those gifts. And then in verse eight, uh, 9 and, and 10, he kind of goes on a little bit of a um, tangent here. Uh, we'll read it. Um, what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who has descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fulfill the whole universe. Now, I'm, I'm, not, going to, um, I'm not going to give get into those, the, that passage. Um, I, I think it, it's a little rabbit trail that Paul takes. Um, but what I am going to do is there's a lot of great teaching on those two verses. Um, so that's your homework tonight. Okay, you can you can study those, look those up, find a commentary, and read about what those, how that applies. Um, so we're going to pick it up with his main train of thought here uh, in verse eleven, and um, so he's talking about Paul's talking about the gifts that were given he, that Christ gave gifts to men, and it says in verse eleven, so Christ Himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. This list is not meant to be an exhaustive list. All The list of gifts gifts in the, in the Bible are never exhaustive. Um, Paul is not trying to say you can only have, there's five gifts and you, you know, you're going to have one of those, okay? Um, you wouldn't expect him to be able to list every single gift in a letter anyway. But they are, uh, the gifts that Christ gives us are as unique and specific as the people he gives them to. First, I want to make, I want to make a few no, a few points here. First, I want to I want you to see that they are given by Christ Himself. They are given by Christ Himself, and secondly, they are to be used for what? Service to serve others. They are to be used to serve. We are all to be serving. Please don't hear this wrong. This is not a guilt trip, okay? Um, I'm not trying to place guilt on you for not serving. But it's done, if your serving is done out of your giftedness. 
verse 12 says, to equip his people for works of service so that the body may be built up. And you're given these gifts and the ability to serve, to help others to serve. Your gifts are to be used to help others to serve as well. And all of it is done to build up the body of Christ for the purpose of unity and maturity, not to bring attention to yourself. This is what our gifts are for. So, how do I find out what my gift is? Um, I'm not going to give you specific steps to find out how your gift, what your gift is. Um, what I'm going to say is that I, I think we should look at it as what are we most comfortable doing to serve? What, are, what is it that brings us the most joy? when we think about serving other people. I, um, I have a coworker that I work with that uh, loves to hunt, bow hunt especially, loves to hunt. It's like, it's the best thing in the world. He will save all of his vacation so that in the fall, he can take a day at a time and go hunting. He doesn't take summer vacation or anything, he just saves it all up and then in the fall he wants to go hunting. He is also, by nature, a very kind of private person. He just he doesn't want to be doesn't want a lot of people around him. He doesn't want a bunch of people in his home. He doesn't want to be uh, interactive that way necessarily, um, and um, he doesn't do a lot of things with the church that he attends. He just I, I just want to go hunting, right? Um, so is using his gift. Um, by hunting in the woods by himself, is that him using his gift? No. Because he's doing it by himself. He's doing it by himself. But what he does do, but what he does do is he has a bow knight at his house. And they shoot at targets. And they have a message about, about Jesus. And people invite their friends and, and people from his church come and they have food and fellowship. And he's using what he loves to do to share the message of Jesus. He's, he's being hospitable. Is that a gift? Yep. He's, he's building the body. He's discipling people. And he's using what he loves, what, what he, has, he has been given the ability to do to build the body of Christ. That's using your gifts. It doesn't have to be done here on a Sunday morning. And it doesn't have to be done in church. But it does have to be done. And so, no, Ben, um, bow hunting is not a spiritual gift. Sorry. But hospitality is, and community is, and discipleship is. Um, OK, 
Okay, let's look at verses 14 through 16. And so the whole purpose of all of the gifts and, 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 and what we've talked about so far is um, we're attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head. That is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament, ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So the, so the point of, our, of the gifts and of using the gifts and of, of, of building the body is so that we grow toward maturity. So that we grow toward maturity. Um, uh, and one, there's, there's two, two facets here. One, it's doctrinal maturity. We're not tossed to and fro by the ways of life. We know what we believe. Do the storms of life cause us to question our faith? It's also not being swayed by false teachings or, you know, when, when uh, are we quick to go looking for some other kind of answer when what we find in the, we can't find our answers in the Bible? What, are we growing toward maturity? Um, the speaking the truth in love should be more like proclaiming the proclaiming of the truth. It should be more like proclaiming the truth in love, speaking the truth to others in love, the truth of the word. By proclaiming the truth, the, the body grows in their knowledge of Christ. It's the reason why we sit here in the morning on Sunday mornings to hear the word of God proclaimed and to grow in maturity. Uh, verse 17. And Paul goes on and says, So I tell you, and I insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Now, isn't he talking to Gentiles in here? Aren't they Gentiles, the Ephesians? Are they, are they Jews or are they Gentiles? Yeah, it's a mix, right? Okay. Um, Paul's not talking about Gentiles here. He's talking about pagans. He's talking about those who haven't heard the word, those who don't claim Christ as their Savior. That's what he's, that's what he's talking about, okay? Um, and, and he says you can't, you can't live like them you can't know what you know about Christ and continue to live like those who don't know Christ. The knowledge of God, the knowledge of what Christ has done, has to change how you live. Verse 18. 
And he goes on to describe them a little bit more. In verse 18, he says, They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. separation from a life of God will cause us to try to fill the void with all kinds of things that promise satisfaction but only deliver a continual lust for more. Separation from a life of God will cause us to try to fill the void with all kinds of things that promise satisfaction but only deliver a continual lust for more. Verse 20. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And there, there's a better way, Ephesians, there's a better way. And you were taught about it. This passage reminded me of a passage from a story that I read uh, years ago um, and continue to love and read from uh, C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia. And so I'm going to read, I'm actually going to read that passage. It's from the Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Um, and I just feel like it illustrates this, this section really well. So if you don't mind, just, just listen. Um, to set the stage, for those of you who haven't... Um, haven't read the Chronicles of, Nar Chronicles of Narnia, um, uh, you should. Um, <laughs> this is from uh, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, and it's, uh, it's the story of um, a, a self-absorbed, selfish, conceited little boy named Eustace. And Eustace is, uh, I mean, he's a jerk, just a miserable wretch. Um, and, and he gets on a ship, a, a voyage on a ship with a, with a group of people and does all kinds of just retarded little things, um, annoying little things. And they end up being, going through a storm and being shipwrecked uh, or needing to pull into an island to repair their ship. And Eustace, who doesn't want to have to do any of the work on the ship for repairing it, um, sneaks off into the jungle. And in the jungle, he finds a cave. And in the cave, there's treasure, tons and tons and tons of treasure. And um, he ends up putting on an, an armband that ultimately turns him into a dragon. And as a dragon, he um, at first thinks it's great because people will fear him. And people will, will run from him. And then he realizes it's not so great being a dragon. And after a change of heart, um, where he ends up helping the, the, the crew uh, fix the ship, he, 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 he 
repents and he, re he returns and, and is sorry for what he has done. And he wanders up into the woods um, because he knows he can't really go on the ship as a dragon. He can't go on with the voyage. And so they're going to have to leave him there. And he wanders up into the woods. And uh, that's where we're going to pick the story up. And he, oh, and he meets a lion in the woods. Uh, and he's telling this story to Edmund. Um, I don't know. Um, let me start with you. But I don't know. He was talking about how he spoke to him. He says, and all I knew was that I had to do whatever he told me to do. So I got up and I followed it. And it went, it led me along a long way into the mountains. And there was always moonlight over and around the lion wherever he went. So we la at last we came to a stop on top of the mountain. I'd never seen it before. And, and on the top of the mountain, of this mountain, there was a garden, trees and fruit and everything. In the middle, there was a well. I knew it was a well because I could not, I could see water bubbling up from the bottom of it. But it was a lot bigger than most wells, like a very big round bath with marble steps going down into it. The water was as clear as anything I thought of, uh, as clear as anything. And I thought if I could just get in there and bathe, I could ease the pain in my leg. But the lion told me I must undress first. Mind you, I don't know if he said any words out loud or not. I was just going to say that I couldn't undress because I hadn't any clothes on when I suddenly thought that dragons are shaky sort of things and snakes can cast their skins. Oh, of course, I thought I. That's what a lo the lion means. So I started scratching myself, and my scales began coming off all over the place. And then I scratched a little deeper, and instead of just scales coming off here and there, my whole skin started peeling off beautifully, like it does after an illness, or like I was a banana. In a minute or two, I stepped out of it, and I could see it there laying beside me, looking rather nasty. It was, most, it, was a, it was a most lovely feeling, so I started to go down into the water to bathe. But just as I was going to put my feet into the water, I looked down and saw, there, saw that there, they were all hard and rough and wrinkled and, just, and scaly, just as they had been before. Oh, that's all right, I said. I'll, it only means I have another smaller suit on underneath the first one, and I'll have to get out of it too. So I scratched and tore again, and this underskin peeled off beautifully. And I stepped out of it, lying it there, uh, out of it, lying beside the other one, and went down to the well to bathe. Well, exactly the same thing happened again, and I thought to myself, "Oh dear, however many skins have I got to take off?" for I was longing to bathe my leg. So I scratched away for a third time and got off a third skin, just as the two others, and stepped out of it. But as soon as I looked at myself in the water, I knew it was no good. Then the lion said, you will have to let me undress you. I was afraid of his claws, I can tell you, but I was pretty nearly desperate by now. So I just lay there, flat, lay flat on my back, and let him do it. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling off the skin, it hurt worse than anything I had ever felt before. The only thing that made me able to bear it 
was the pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off. You know, if you ever picked a scab off a sore place, it hurts like crazy, but it's, it's the fun of seeing it come away. I know exactly what you mean, said Edmund. Well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off, just as I thought I had done myself the other three times, but only, I had, but it, but only it hadn't hurt. And there it was, lying on the grass, only ever so much thicker and darker and more knobbly looking than the others had been. And there I was, as smooth and as soft as a peeled switch and smaller than I had been than I had been. Then he caught hold of me. I didn't like that much, for I was very tender underneath. Now that, now that I have no skin on, and threw, he threw me into the water. It smarted like anything, but only for a moment. After that, it became perfectly delicious, and as soon as I started swimming and splashing, I found that all the pain had gone from my arm. And then I saw why. I had turned into a boy again. You'd think me simply phony if I told you how I felt about my own arms. I know they, they are, they've got no muscle and are pretty moldy compared to Caspian's. But I was so glad to see them. After a bit, the lion took me out and dressed me. Dressed you? With his paws? Well, I don't exactly remember that bit, but, I, but he did somehow or other in new clothes the same ones that I've got on now, as a matter of fact. And then suddenly, I was back here. Taking off the old skin can't be done by ourselves. And we're made new and, and, and tender and new. And then Christ clothes us with a new life, a new skin. put off the old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the, in the attitude of our minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Verse 25, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your, to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Why do we speak falsely to each, to others? Why do we, why do we do that? To make ourselves look better, to make maybe to make the the wrong that we've done not look quite so bad, to make it easier for us. Verse twenty six and twenty seven. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. So do not let the sun go down on your anger. So don't, don't, get, don't get angry at 530. Is that what it's saying? No, man. It means that, you know, don't hold on to your anger. Uh, deal with it quickly. Don't let it fester. Festering anger or, or anything gives the devil an opportunity to work. Um, 
I used to do a little rock climbing. And the hardest part of climbing a rock is getting started. But as soon as you can find a foothold, as soon as you can find a place to put your foot, you're on your way. And that's what the devil is looking for. He's looking for a little crack or a little knob or a little something in your life to, to get a hold of. And letting anger fester, letting anger stick around is a perfect opportunity for that. Verse 28 says, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Not only are we to stop living as the Gentiles, as the pagans, who live in selfishness, stealing from others, taking what they want, but we are to begin to do something useful, working with our hands so that we have something to give. It's, a, it's going from a life of selfishness and self-absorption to a life of service and giving to others. It's a, it's a shift in our thinking. It's an old self to new self. Okay, verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. This one got me this, this week. This verse got me. Um, and it's caused me to do uh, some, some pretty significant inspection in my own, in my own life. In a world where workplace in a workplace where tedious, vulgar, destructive, and excessive speech is prevalent, is my speech different? Does how I speak and the words that I choose to use cause those around me to take a second look at my life? I want to also notice something here um, in this, the second part of this verse. Is, uh, it says, um, uh, says in, according to their needs. Uh, let me just read that again. But only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And that implies that, if we, that we know what their needs are. And in order to know what their needs are, we need to understand and we need to listen to be involved in their lives. It's not just sugarcoat everything you say, right? Everything should be good and happy and nice. It's know what is needed. Listen. Be willing to speak what is need, needs to be said according to what they need, not what you need, not what makes you feel better, but what they need. 
verse 30. Um, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you have been sealed for the day of redemption. How do we grieve the Holy Spirit of God? It's a question. Any thoughts? Okay, living in life not worthy of our calling. Good, Bob. Not living the truth that's in the word. Any other thoughts? Okay. We feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and we just, I don't, I don't want to deal with that. Just, I don't want to deal with it. Relationship isn't there. I wrote down knowing when we know what is right or what is true, and we do it, we do something else anyway. Knowing what is right, but doing something else. Verses 31 and 32. Get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. No problem. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. This is a process. It's a process, guys. Don't be overwhelmed or condemned. Convicted if need be. Be convicted if need be. Be continually working on getting rid of these things. Continually, daily working. Be faithful in your pursuit. Be faithful in your pursuit of these areas. Be faithful. If you're not pursuing Christ-likeness, you're allowing the old self back on. The old dragon skin, you're stepping back into it. You're giving the devil a foothold to work in your life. You're going back to stealing for your survival. You're returning to that which has no satisfaction. Instead, Paul says, don't follow those things. Get rid of that stuff. Instead, follow, be compassionate. Be compassionate. Forgiving one another. Pursuing the example of Christ. live. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Why? Just, just because Christ forgave you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for
your word, for the truths that are in your word. We thank you for um, the example of Paul, who followed his calling to the point of imprisonment and even death. God, there's a, a lot of really difficult things to do here. So I pray this morning that as we uh, go forward as, as a body, as one body, that we would um, continually be striving to, uh, to change the pattern of our lives, to be more like Christ. Pray that you would help us as we uh, seek to be compassionate with one another, to be understanding, to be forgiving. In the name of your Son, Jesus, amen.